0: Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting.
1: Good morning, how are you? I'm here. I'd like to say I'm fresh on my way back from being in Sydney. But
0: yes, how was that?
1: Well, the restaurant went very light. So I'm not fresh. Yeah. But it was um, it was wonderful to be on the plane again. I actually, one of the, the stewards who I regularly, when I'm flying between Melbourne and Sydney, when I used to fly regularly between Melbourne and Sydney, we both recognised each other. And it was yeah. sort of nice to say, oh, it's you know, nice to said, yes, Mr Douglas. I thought, gee, nobody calls me Mr Douglas. But that was really nice. Oh, that's lovely. And I, I thought... It was a bit like Love Actually as people got on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a reconnection to something. Some of those students haven't worked for twelve months. One of the men had only worked three times in thirteen months, oh, yeah. and people embraced them. You know, they were not physically, but were really happy to see them. And yeah, yeah flying over land, looking out, out of the windows, like a child, to be honest.
0: That's, that's lovely. It's just a, by your description, it sounds as though it's just so nice to be here, and just so nice to have. Yeah, to be around
1: it. Oh, it is. And look, the thing that I don't quite understand, Karen, I walked into breakfast at my usual breakfast joint this morning without a mask, and I, I walked in with my hand over you have my face. You've got a, three, a three panic attack? <laughs> at I'm really struggling to do things that I did before with ease. And as we flew back, I felt a level of comfort that we're returning to something which I'm familiar with, mm. and that that um, amenity that we enjoyed before. You know, I wandered around Sydney for an hour just to walk around and be in Sydney yeah. in between about six or seven appointments. And I thought I can do this, Yeah. and I just didn't think I was going to do it again. I don't know why my brain has sort of closed out that as an option. But anyway, look, we're back. Let's hit the ground on the vaccination status and talk about what's happening there. Not much. Not a lot. The Sydney case has now been lodged in the Supreme Court. Um, There's no direction stated for that at the moment. The Melbourne injunction failed. Dismally, as we expected it would. It's due for hearing in early March and again will fail dismally. And there is usual protesters congregating on the steps of the Victorian. Not Hull. too
0: far from us, actually. Not
1: too far. I can't see not the side gal- of Is the gallows still there? <laughs> yeah, the portable gallows could still be there. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure who they're for. But um, yeah, they're an interesting riffraff, weren't they? So anyway, there, there's still a few people sitting there as I drove in last night. Now we're better to go. All right. So as far as cases go, we have some two really interesting cases. One, probably the first one, which is Shanks and Schwartz, is interesting in sort of retrospective looking about what happened in stand mm-hmm. So as you all know, for a stand-down to be effective, there has to be a complete stoppage of work and no other method of utilising someone. That's effectively what to 6, 526, the Fair Work Act says. In Shanks' case, she was offered a variation of the contract. And for you and For the people out there, you'll know this was a common thing to do. We'd say to people, look, there's this amount of work to do. If you can vary your contracts down, if you can take leave, we can get through without it or otherwise, which this business didn't do, otherwise we'll chunk up the work into work where we can do and work where there is a complete stoppage. They didn't do the chunking up and as a result, there was no complete stoppage. Mm -hmm. And so the court said, look, this woman failed to sign the variation. She's one of 268 people, all of whom signed them. The case is right. There wasn't a stoppage of work because there was work that could be done. Mm. But under five to six, there's this balancing exercise you do as to, well, where is the loss and how should if there is a loss, how do you pay it from balancing the various interests that are involved. And they said, well, look, this was actually an employer trying to do the right thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Two hundred sixty-eight people agreed to do the right thing, yes. and your claim for compensation
0: it was hard to sympathise with that really yeah, decision to to raise. Yeah, to raise that type of complaint, given the the environment, the setting.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, here's a case where you win everything and lose completely. So I know those lessons won't go out and employ land for people who feel they need to stand on principle and do stuff which is inane, but the short answer here, here's a woman who's run a case, won the case and lost completely, mm. gets nothing. So I, I don't know why she ran it, but I think... I don't know whether anyone ran it for her, actually. Glad in fact, my day. recollection, they are represented, which, yeah. which was difficult. Next case is um, Chief Executive Officer of the Department of Health and Wellbeing in Visavantham. And this shows how jurisdictions are different, okay? And South Australia is an old common law jurisdiction. It's inclined to be much more technical in the way that it adopts law compared to the Victorian and New South Wales. I won't go into my other discussions about other jurisdictions, but... Both Victoria and New South Wales are very commercially sound jurisdictions, which are inclined to see a bigger commercial picture. South Australia, it's inclined to be more technical. This was a woman who, over a period of six years, raised concerns that her peers and people who worked with her were treating her inappropriately. She apprehended that she was being bullied. She raised and described it as being bullied. She missed out on a promotion. And she then made a claim under all safety legislation has an anti-discrimination provision. If you raise a safety-related matter or if you're a shop steward and you're treated adversely as a result of that status or a complaint that you make in relation to safety, then there are individual... So this is a crossover criminal civil. There is a reverse onus which says individually the person who did it can be liable. It's around about $50,000 that you can and from an organizations up to 250,000. We've seen the Patrick case and a few other cases. She won at first instance. So at the first court she went to, she got $115,000. And then she went on, went on appeal and she lost. And the appeal's really concerning. Okay. There's, there's part of it I do get. And it's, which is quite valid saying, look, all of that may have happened, but it wasn't part of the decision makers mind in refusing your application for a higher job. Good argument by the way, no complaints about that part of it. But then there was this odd piece which said the mere allegation of bullying doesn't make it unsafe, Mm. and it shows how we've been drawn to technicality rather than substance, because when a person repeatedly says they're being treated, they feel they're being bullied, not a technical definition, but they feel it, there is absolutely no doubt that safety legislation says that is a safety complaint, Mm -hmm. even if it's not articulated in terms of, On this day, a person did this. So, you know, an investigation, a complaint to be investigated must identify the person involved, the location and the relevant time so that somebody can respond to it, okay? That's for the purpose of an allegation which goes to misconduct. But that's not what this case was about. This Mm -hmm. is a person's apprehension that they were being treated badly and it was impacting them. And, And what is the real test when we look even at bullying it is for bullying is that there are repeated actions. She repeatedly raised the way she was being treated. It affected her safety at work and that it wasn't reasonable, but it hurt, humiliated, or her, intimidated. Her. So it mightn't have reached the level of being bullying, but the definition around safety is that you must do everything that is reasonably practical yeah. to prevent harm to somebody. Yeah. So she's like- to, she's got harm.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, you've got under the safety system or safety obligations, you need to be able to identify and assess and manage those hazards, right, and those risks that arise from those hazards. Now, that's one part of it, to be able to identify that. Now, when it's being brought to you and say, I feel unsafe, then you've actually got to do something about that. Go out and investigate or substantiate whether or not or assess whether or not there is an issue and deal with that appropriately. And this is
1: where the hole in this case sits, is that a person has been penalised by the inaction of its employer. Mm-hmm. So a person brings a claim saying, well, I was treated adversely. Now, let's ignore it for a second. If the finding is and the facts are there is no nexus between her complaints mm-hmm. and the decision it's made, then she loses mm-hmm. But what I'm deeply concerned about, I guess, is, and this will always happen in technical jurisdictions, where they look at the, they drill down definitionally on a thing and they say, well, just because somebody says it's bullying doesn't mean it's safety. Well, let me just be really clear with you. When someone repeatedly raises the word bullying, I want you to think as a parent, when someone does that, when a kid comes home and says, I'm being bullied, more fool you for not saying your child's at risk. <laughs> Because it's screaming to you that this person is at risk and your failure to do something about it has left this woman suspended in fear. Anyway, technical jurisdiction Victoria, you would not have the same outcome. But really interesting and will be misused repeatedly to say Mm -hmm. that the mere allegation of bullying doesn't give rise to a safety concern. If anyone comes to you and says, I feel I've been bullied, it is a safety concern. And you must do exactly what Karen said, which is go through the assessment investigative process. Yep.
0: So with that, Andrew, it's really understanding that there's there's multi-dimensions in terms of an issue like this and, and recognising that and being able to deal with each one of those appropriately.
1: And let's kick it around just for one last minute. Mm-hmm. Say she's wrong about this. What does that say about a mental health? And yet we have an obligation of monitoring health. Mm-hmm. So when a person says that I'm being regularly hurt, you go and look at the substance and you can't see it it's telling you there's a problem in the person's health. And your obligation is, at that stage, to assess the person's health because a person wouldn't repeatedly say they're at risk Mm. and feeling hurt unless one of two things, they were being or they had a perception of it which related to a health-related matter. Okay, so... Yeah, I, but, either way. there's
0: that, there's that. And there's also, but if, you had, if you had a process and you had that framework and you worked to it, it also demonstrates how, in terms of from the integrity of your framework and the governance, risk management, like that, it does so many good things for you, all the right things for
1: you. It does. And look, the other thing I'd like to say after being out to restaurants three nights in a row and another one tonight, my foot actually aching from now, <laughs> can I say to you, I'm raising this as a risk issue. If anyone would like to do the identification, it is the fact that everybody wants to go to dinner before Christmas. I need a break, Karen. I think I
0: need
1: it more than you. <laughs> yeah, when I'm talking to somebody with three children, eight and under. okay, I'm not going to complain anymore. But what I thought we might talk about today, because there is this nonsense going around about the Great Resignation is going to affect Australia. I just want to say to you, it is a nonsense in Australia, okay? It is just guff that's being peddled by a sort of crazy tabloids because it sounds such an exciting thing to talk about. Yeah. It is true that in America which has an entirely casual labour force. So I'm not sure if you understand in America that the baseline employment standard is casual employment. And that's why enterprise agreements started there in 1930, to actually protect people. The first of all, was known as the Sherman Act that brought in. There's a whole lot of Sherman Acts and there's actually a Sherman tank as well. But one of the first Sherman Acts that came in to protect employees was designed to build enterprise agreements so people could have leave, okay? People could be sick. Because in America, everyone is... Employed in the casual, unless you have an employment contract, which changes that, or you're under an enterprise agreement. Whereas in Australia, you're deemed to be a permanent employee unless you're defined as a casual employee. So if I don't, if I employ Karen and I don't tell her she's a casual employee, she's a permanent employee. Okay. And that's why we've got our minimum standard of six months where you can terminate somebody on one month's notice because we assume the reason I'm telling you that is because when COVID hit America, People were treated shockingly. And there's also very little social security net in America, whereas we have a very strong social security net. And we had governments, all of them, despite the rebel, the rebelous way they behaved together, mm. all of them threw money both at business and people to try and fix things. It might have been coordinated and there'd be a lot of criticism. But I'll tell you now, you live in the luckiest country in the world. Absolutely. Okay? That wasn't what happened in America. So people just turned up to work one day and were told to go home. And nothing happened. No one looked after them. Nobody cared for them. For those who stayed behind, they were burdened with huge quantities of work. They weren't sent home to, to scratch. In so many cases, they were just treated abominably. Their workloads were increased. Their health was ignored. And these people, by the way, the Great Resignation is is a very middle class concept because it's a white group of people the are middle class who have been successful. They've gone, I don't want to put up with the shit. This isn't about people who work at the Ford factory. They're not resigning. <laughs> it's only a middle-class professional group who are resigning because they're saying, actually, when I was at home, I realised I missed my family. When I was at home, I realised without travel, without all these things, I don't earn a lot less doing something else. Mm-hmm. I never want to live this badly ever again. These are people who went through terrible deprivations after being quite well-to-do middle-class Americans who lived a good life going, I don't want to be treated the way I have been. So it was a realisation, a cultural realisation similar to what happened in the 60s where a whole lot of Americans went, I don't like the rules that are being imposed on us, I don't think it's right. And we saw a cultural revolution that changed all of us which led to the technological revolution of the 70s and 80s because of that complete change of mindset. We're going to see that in America. Are we going to see it in Australia? Well, actually, Australian employers are incredibly good. Australian governments are very generous. A lot of people who say Australian employers, it's just not true. We act for you. And in every case, we've seen incredible generosity of spirit throughout stand downs. And the way people have behaved has been remarkable. We're an island state, and therefore, in all skilled occupations, there is scarcity. So rather than seeing great resignation, we're seeing some volatility where wages are being thrown at high-skilled production production managers, professional class of people. Yep, technology, you know, yeah.
0: healthcare.
1: All those areas, yep. there is scarcity because nobody can come into Australia. So we're not seeing a great resignation. We're seeing a struggle for retention. Mm-hmm. And it should be called the great retention as people, you know, like there's some law firms, too notable, who just went through 10% and 15% are all employees. Now, can I just say to you, that's, that's sort of Dumbsville well because the answer is... It is nice that you go and say that, but that's that's a brand. Mm-hmm. Employees are thanking Australian employers for being loyal, committed, and kind, and that's what you need to learn from COVID: is to respect flexibility and to build flexibility, trust, and respect into relationship. Yes, pay people correctly, but remembering volatility in wages—they go everywhere. What's fifteen percent one day is redundancy the next day. Absolutely. And what we'll see again with these mad wage figures is as soon as is up, there'll be retrenchments. And guess what? They'll be buying people into cheaper rates. So be careful of the dishonesty that comes about where people throw money to pretend that's doing something good. What creates the great retention is great relationships and engagement. And money is part of that, but it is built around saying to people, Karen and Karen's a good person to say this to, you. how do we give you some freedom so you have some time for yourself? Because... What flexibility also does, it breaks down these slightly invisible barriers between work and home. And for you, it's been an incredible struggle, hasn't it? I'll get messages from you for two or three o'clock in the morning as you buy time for yourself mm. with your own health. So they're the things which create retention. The throwing of money doesn't. So Australia is not going to see the great resignation. It is guff. Don't go to any Australian seminars and say it. It's junk. We live in a, an environment where we have permanent employment where we have an industrial legislation that secures that employment and a more diverse society that respects people who live within it and tries to do it. We're very, 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 very fortunate. Mm. So I just thought that's my little parable for the day. About <laughs> I won't belt away any more of the trash that goes on commercial radio and stuff about this, but that's me. On that, what we thought we'd do is then we get into culture as a retention strategy, I'll throw to you. Thank you so much. So,
0: look, I want to throw... The great resignation on its head a little bit and focus on what's really important here. Yeah? Yep. This is not about even the word retention in itself. This is not a, a way of how do we keep people for as long as possible against their will. Yeah, <laughs> thinking is it about that? No, it's about creating and we can focus on creating an environment where people want to be there. They value and are interested in the work they do and the people which they interact with on a daily basis. They care about what they do and what the organisation stands for. I'm telling you now, it's going to be a lot more than 10 or 15% increase that's going to get them, you know, to move.
1: Hey, look, can I just say, for our two organisations, your consulting we don't have any restraints against our staff. That's Because right. our view is... If you've got to hold someone against their will, that's actually called a prison. <laughs> <laughs> and we
0: don't think we're a prison. No, that's true. I can confirm that. There is no So I can walk tomorrow. I? I yeah, can walk yeah, tomorrow. So, look, with that, a couple of um, elements for you um to consider in terms of, well, we were talking about culture, what makes up this culture that will help feed into to retention, if you want to call it that. So, one is around value. So, we talked briefly about remuneration, mm-hmm. making sure that, Crafting your your, your remuneration.
1: (laughs) Ah, Karen's Um, second word. There's another word in the problem I put in there for Karen, by the way.
0: Um, (laughs) um, Crafting REM that recognizes reward, (laughs) performance, and loyalty. Okay, so let's make sure that that money isn't a problem. Sort that out. Okay. Money and benefits, whatever that is. Connection, creating a positive sense of belonging um, to the team, to the organization to the work as well. I'm talking about the actual job that you do so that people feel actually valued and respected. It's important to also to invest in people. So I'm talking about growth, you know, actively encouraging people to grow professionally but also personally, supporting them. That doesn't mean like unlimited courses and, you know, big things like that. It it doesn't. It's just we want, are you creating an environment where people are better every day if they want to be better? Purpose? Are we energising our employees? Are they understanding that, look, this is who we are, this is what we do as an organisation? Is there an alignment? Is there a connectedness to that? Our work, really what we're trying to say there is, you know what, our work is important, Mm. yeah, and your work is important. Certainty, providing the clarity and direction and support to help people do their work and contribute well and perform well. And lastly is care, and we're really big on this one, Andrew, is around establishing programs, resources, support, a whole bunch of things whatever like it involves but how do we make our employees lives better through health and happiness yeah so that's that's me
1: can i just say one of the things that we've really struggled through lockdowns is very obvious is the lack of certainty you don't give people certainty you create stress you create stress you get people in this sort of fight flight place mm-hmm. place where they're not sure what they should be doing now Any of you who know this know Fight Flight has three really obvious outcomes. One, it it reduces executive function. So people's capacity to think when they're stressed is actually reduced. Mm -hmm. So not giving someone clarity means they won't be autonomous, they'll get lost. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it means they don't get any form of nuance from you. So when you say to them, Oh, you're struggling a bit with this, because I can really give you a hand, they're seeing that as being criticism. Because the Mm -hmm. third part of Fight Flight is always the sense of defending who you are feeling under attack. So all those things work really well, but if you fail uncertainty, you fail completely.
0: Yes.
1: And growth, connection, value and purpose come from care. You and I can say anything we like, but unless you know that I genuinely care about you and I want you to be the best version of you, you won't be because you'll continue to focus, as humans do, on productivity. And you'll focus on becoming more and more transactional rather than conceptual. And what that means is you'll end up with a very siloed workplace. So that's the that's layman's version of the psychology that sits behind what Karen's saying. But care and certainty are the absolute hubs of heart and yes, productivity. Absolutely. Great. All right. Well, that's great. So thanks for nailing it. Let's bring up the next slide because we've got.
0: Case
1: study. Oh, the
0: case study. Oh, Karen God. and the case study. Go for it. All right, let's go. Terry was a lead salesman at Residential Homes Investment New Order, Proprietary Limited. Rhino, Five-letter word. That's great, Andrew. Look, look at the joy in his face. Look at it. He's just lighting up, right? Yeah. So anyway, so Terry, he reported to the head of sales and marketing, Sally, and managed a team of six salespeople who worked throughout Victoria. Terry had a large client base, but hadn't been able to break into any of the big building companies. As a non-drinker, he would say abstemious, abstemious.
1: This is word one for Karen for the week. <laughs> abstemious. Okay, abstemious. can I just help there? Just abstemious. Yeah.
0: Abstemious. Oh, thank you so much, my learned friend. Anyway, Terry <laughs> was a very different person to his colleagues. They found him stiff and uncompromising with a holier than thou personality.
1: <laughs> That's my word two for Karen.
0: Oh, just. <laughs> I apologise on his behalf, behaving badly today. Terry spoke to Harold, the GM of HR at Rhino. He explained that he felt excluded and bullied by Sally and his reports as they deliberately arranged meetings at restaurants and hotels with operational staff, knowing his views about the service of alcohol during working hours. Terry complained that Sally was the one who authorises these meetings and takes some sick pleasure in how awkward it makes him feel. Harold investigated Terry's complaints and found the team loved Sally and her relaxed approach to client engagement and drinking. They struggled with Terry and didn't enjoy mixing with him. Sally had socialised her irritation with Terry and had intentionally made their Friday afternoon get together at rowdy hotels despite him. Terry would attend for the client debrief early in the meeting, finished at 6pm, then made his apologies before what Sally called the team building part that commenced after 6pm and involved drinking. Terry applied for the national manager role in February 2021 and was told by Sally that his lack of big client connection was fatal to his appointment. Terry pointed out that these were her relationships and that she had never assisted with introductions. Sally angrily
1: correcting my grammar now. Okay. And you it? Can't say is and corrects my grammar. Yeah, great. Okay.
0: Sally angrily said, "Do you think they would really like to meet you over at mineral water?" They allude then alluded to his complaint against her by saying, "And how could I trust you now to have my back? Wouldn't I be more at risk
1: of you stabbing it?" We're over to the poll. Yes. Okay, let's go. Thanks very much. Okay. Terry commenced a discrimination claim under the safety law, saying that both Rhino and Sally discriminated against him for raising a safety complaint. Would he be successful? Okay. So reverse onus and safety legislation, she has to make the allegation and they have to show that there was not part of their mental state in the decision-making. Now, the fact is this is a much harder question than we think. If she said that it related to his job, we have no to the job that he was after, we have no evidence to suggest that he was done on the basis of merit. The only thing we have is Sally saying, I don't trust you, and making a clear allusion to the fact that he made a complaint against her. That would not in any way displace the reverse onus and they would be found liable. So the question that sits beneath that is, was it a safety issue that Terry raised? And in this case, it clearly was, because Terry could point to something that was in an investigation that Harold had undertaken. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this would be successful, and because Sally is liable, without any... The organisation will be liable unless they can show Celiac so far outside of the rules and they couldn't have been aware of what she did. So both would be liable. And her senior role would make it very hard for doing it. So the answer to that one is yes. Does Terry have an adverse action claim? Absolutely. Much easier to prove because all Terry has to raise in an adverse action claim is he merely has to say he has a complaint, a safety complaint. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to be right. He merely has to raise it to kick off the action to be partially successful and, once again, a reverse onus. And they could leave no evidence from the facts we had that it wasn't part of their decision-making. And it doesn't have to be the whole of their decision-making. What is very clear from Sally is it was a substantial part of it, and that's enough for adverse action. So we're going pretty well. If Terry suffered a psychological injury, God, your lips have got hold of my brow. I can't believe that I'm starting to have trouble saying psychological. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Would the rejection by Sally be a viable worker's claim? Yes, absolutely. Clearly not reasonable management action. Okay? So now the last one's a beauty, isn't it? The business had zero tolerance for alcohol during working hours, which was 6.30 to 6pm. Drinking at these functions started at 6.01. Could Sally be disciplined for encouraged drinking in breach of rhino's policies? The answer is because this was a function which was organised regular under the purview of a senior person who continued to be at it and encouraged it, it is still work. And therefore, she is liable under their policies and it would be serious misconduct in the circumstances. Mm-hmm. How about that, guys? Oh, that was an interesting mm-hmm. problem, isn't it? It is. And it just shows you one or two of those facts missing and you're back to where Van Vantham was, the earlier case of struggling to say, well, where is the linkage between you know, what is safe and what is not safe? Certainly in a Victorian or New South Wales jurisdiction, they win every time in this case. Okay. Great. That's the end of it. There's coffee not that far away. And thank you very much for joining us. It's been a really enjoyable and fun day. So it has
0: been. And a few more left, Andrew.
1: And then we have the live one. Yes. We don't even know how we're doing it live other than we both have to come and be alive. That's what we know.
0: <laughs> no, be good. We good. Well, look, thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next week.
1: See you later, guys. Bye-bye.